Today's guest on the podcast is Tara Sophia Moore. She's an expert on women's leadership and well-being, an author, educator, and certified coach. She's the author of the book, Playing Big, Practical Wisdom for Women Who Want to Speak Up, Create, and Lead. And this was named a best book of the year by Apple iBooks. So I said in the podcast that it was a new book and she corrected me and said, no, it's not a new book, but it's new to me. So everything is about me. (laughs) Just kidding. But it's a new to me book. And the concept of playing big is also a little new to me because of the way that she positioned it and, and the way that she wrote about it. I mean, we've heard don't play small, but what does playing big actually mean? And we talk about that in this episode and her answer will surprise you. So very cool. I enjoyed this. This is a short episode. Definitely don't miss it and share it with all your girlfriends. That's right. Female friends, not girlfriends. I mean, maybe you do have a lot of girlfriends. I don't know. Female friends, (laughs) women friends, lady friends, and even the ones who aren't. I think that this topic is super relevant. So without further ado, Tara Moore, and let's talk about playing big. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Tara Moore is here. Hi, Tara. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. So really excited to jump in, um, talk about what it means to play big. Um, Your new book, Playing Big, Practical Wisdom for Women Who Want to Speak Up, Create, and Lead. So love this idea. Love speaking up. Of course, I have a podcast. (laughs) So um, yeah, let's talk about what it means to play big and what inspired you to write this book. Yes. Well, and first I have to say it's not new. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Came out, it came out in 2014. Okay. And, um, we're just about to actually cross about, um, a hundred thousand U S copies sold. And so nice. it's, it's really been a joy because, um, the, the sales have just been steady since the fall of 2014. Because well, that's great news. <laughs> people just hand it to each other. So yeah, yeah. So it's make it's made its way around the block, but it's not new. Okay. But it's I'm new so, to me. It's new to you. Okay. <laughs> and new, it says new, new on you, my but. notes. I put new on my notes. So I guess new to me. This it's is new all to about you. me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so for me, the the interest in playing big came out of starting a coaching practice uh, about 10 years ago, not knowing what the focus of that coaching work would be, but having some very early clients who were incredible women doing wonderful work in their careers. Um, And as their coach, I got to hear about 
the great ideas they had for their companies and their industries. And I could really see how ready they were to lead. And I wanted them to lead because I knew we'd live in a better world with people like that in charge. And yet I was also hearing from those same women, but I'm not ready yet to take on that mm. bigger role. Um, why, why would anyone pick me to do that? If that was a good idea, surely someone else would have thought of it already, all those things. And that, that gap between how they experienced themselves and the potential that they actually had and the talent they had was so painful to me to experience. And also so familiar because I, at that time was also kind of early in my career and coming up against why do I feel so reticent in my voice? And I didn't really have a great shorthand for what I was seeing, but I, I started to think of it as our playing small. And then of course the question became like, what, what helps us play bigger? And for a few years, my coaching practice was like my lab to try and figure out what actually helps us play bigger. And it turned out there were some, some concepts and some tools that made a really big difference for a wide diversity of women. And that became the playing big model and courses and book um, that still to this day, you know, in the layers to the work just keep growing. So what, let's back up, what makes us play small? Yeah, what makes us play small? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple layers to it. There's a, well, first, and, and to help us with that conversation, let me define playing big, um, the definition okay. that I like to use, which is that playing big is being more loyal to your dreams than to your fears. Playing big is being more loyal to your dreams than to your fears. So it's not necessarily doing things that look big to others. It's not like, I need to get the corner office. I need to have the big title. It might be that for any given person, or it might be, I need to turn down the bigger title because for me, the courageous playing big move is to have more time for my artistic life. It's individually defined. It depends on what your own true dreams are and what it looks like to put your loyalty there. That means it's also not about achieving your dreams. Like it's not like, oh, I'm playing big when I get the big promotion or have the successful business. The playing big is actually comes in. When do we shift from, you know, I'm standing with my arms crossed, playing the skeptic to my own aspirations, the, you know, but who do you think you are? And that's not realistic. And how could that work to a different stance of like, I'm going to be on your, I'm going to be on your side with this, whether we know how to get there or not. So that's what playing big means to me. And we play small because it is risky and scary to play big in the culture that we're in. And it's risky for everyone because it's vulnerable. And then it's risky in particular ways for women because um, both historically and now, taking up space, speaking our truth, holding power, all come with different kinds of costs around likability and conforming and, and sometimes even our safety. Right. Um, and so in an attempt to stay in, in the comfort zone or to stay safe, we play small. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel that big time. I mean, I love what you say about 
playing big is being more loyal to our dreams and our fears. That really stuck with me. I wrote it, I just wrote it down and then I underlined it while you were talking because that is exactly the formula for individual, the individual definition of playing big because it's your dreams. It's yeah. your definition of it. So how do you know, like to take it even back one step further, how do you know what your dreams are? I mean, I'm sure like through your coaching, I know certainly with my clients, that's a big part of it. A lot of times picturing the dream or knowing exactly what it is or conceptualizing it. We don't even do that. Yeah. We get really lost from it. Right. We get, and, and we might have once known and then the voices we get from other people, from the messages we get in school of, you know, what's a worthy path? What's not, what am I good at? What am I not? All those kinds of messages can really get us just very disconnected. Um, so I, I, I think we sort of start by like fanning the flames, meaning we can always ask like, okay, what do I know that I love? And we may just be following a little thread. Like I know I love, you know, hanging out in the history section of the bookstore. Okay. You know, and why? And what if I leaned into that a little further? And what if I gave myself more permission to pursue the things I'm interested in there? Like you can follow the breadcrumbs to start. What do I love? What do I really enjoy? Um, What did I love in childhood? What have some of my most fulfilling experiences been and and not the ones that were supposed to be really fulfilling but what really was fulfilling Mm. for me and and then what were the elements that actually made them fulfilling so we we start by asking those kinds of questions and and you know a dream is not a five-year plan it's not like that it's not I need to know what it will look like on LinkedIn, what the job title and industry will be. It doesn't come for people like that. It will often come more in like, I want to move in this direction. Or if I really allow myself, these are the images I see, right? Like we dream in images. And I think that's true in our waking life too. Sometimes it's just, I kind of see myself in this kind of place. I see myself and I look like this in the dream. I see myself doing this kind of thing. And it's very um, countercultural to work with and trust those kinds of vague whispers. People want, they feel like, well, knowing would mean I know the final destination and the roadmap of how we're going to get there. And, and that's, not, um, that's not how it typically shows up. Right. So when is it too late? Cause I know this is a, For what? Is a question exactly. And of course that's your response, but like, there's always this sense that it's too late. Like when the, it's yeah. one of the fears, right? It's too yeah. late. I'm 50, I'm 40. And I spent a hundred thousand dollars on a, um, a law degree that I don't use. <laughs> right. That's Welcome me to the club. Um, there's a big club out there. You can join. Right. Um, Yeah. And I know that, you know, any of us in this space are like, of course it's not too late, but I guarantee you that a large part of the people listening, they may not say it out loud, but that's the, the internal voice. Yeah. It's too late. You know, it's interesting. I don't even think it's a fear. I think it's a distraction. 
that thought. Mm. That's our next place. So, and it's kind of interesting because we even went there in this conversation and it's very common for people to go there that, okay, well, I might open a little bit to thinking about my playing big and my dream. And now, now my safety instincts getting worried because now I might do some stuff that might risk failure. My friends might not get it. My family might not get it. I might feel embarrassed, you know, all those, whatever the emotional risks are. And so the safety instincts looking for like, what is the thought I can come up with to get me to get this person back in the comfort zone where the safety instinct will feel safe. And a really right. great one is it's too late. And it's funny from where I sit, cause I get to see like, there's all the people from here to here that feel they're too young. And then immediately, once you graduate from too young, you're immediately too old <laughs> and you're holding one or the other. So there's only like the, six months between the age of 34 and no 35. Age. Yeah. There's no age in which you're the right age. You're either too inexperienced and young and you have to wait till later to be ready or you're too old and it's too late because, because the motivation, the real intent behind both of those thoughts is just, let's not do the scary thing. Yeah. So it's, it's a distraction and, um, it can be, a, it can be a really, um, cunning one, but we just don't even want to get stuck there. The second thing I'll say about that is, um, there are times when it's too late to become a professional ballerina. And there are times when it's too late to, you know, become a brain surgeon, perhaps like you might just not even have enough years left for the training, but when I work with people around like their calling or what they want to do, we look at what's the essence of the calling. And the essence was not being a professional ballerina that performs, you know, on the stage at Lincoln Center. The essence would be, depends on the person, but it might be, I'm creating something of beauty. I'm working with my body every day. I'm dancing you know, or if it's, I wanted, I thought I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, well, we're going to get to the essence of that. Maybe it's, I want to help people in a really powerful way, or I want to challenge myself like crazy. I guarantee you, whatever the essence of the calling is, it's actually something you can do that day. It's mm. never something, wow. it's never yeah. something you need training for, or you need to prepare for. You might also go get training on a parallel track, but you, you can, you can, and I love to do that brainstorm with people to find the way, like, how are we going to live that calling today? And there's always a way. I love that. I love that because I am a writer at heart and soul, and that's what I do. But there are moments where I'm like, I'm not a writer. And so I go draw, <laughs> you know, but it, I realize for me, it's about being creative or I'll mm -hmm. paint or yeah. I'll podcast or, and I'll learn how to like make a new, um, you know, a, a setup on iMovie with my podcast and I'll make a new graphic. Like, it's just interesting how every day, my best days I'm being creative. So my essence is not being a writer. It's perhaps being a communicator, but definitely mm. being creative. Like I want to yeah. make something. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's so great to know that because then it becomes much more flexible right? And right. adaptable to whatever the circumstances are in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a story of one of your clients or people you've worked with or someone at a, a seminar or workshop that like how you talk them through finding the way that they would play big, like, give me an example, like a case study, 
um, mm. of someone that was like really remarkable or, or maybe not remarkable, but just inspiring as to the path that it took to get, to get to the, you know, the essence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's one that's coming to mind maybe because we were just talking about different ways of playing big and this, um, so it's a woman who works at a, like at one of the big five, um, consulting accounting firms. So very corporate environment. And in the job that she was in, um, there was, you know, like maybe 15 or 20 people at her level. And then there was going to be one person who got promoted to the next level. It was like a really competitive pyramid scheme, kind of pyramid shape, um, trajectory. And she got the promotion. And she got the promotion, but she had some of the playing big tools to think about, okay, well, what are my real dreams? And um, what does my own inner wisdom say? And the inconvenient truth was that she did not want to take this promotion because she was in the middle of a five-year project and initiative with her team that this tight-knit team she was leading had um, come up with and created. And she, she loved her team. She loved the relationships on her team. She believed in the work they were doing and she really valued seeing it through. So she decided to turn down the promotion. And this was like the scandal of, you know, of the whole part of her company. It was, it was unprecedented. People were so shocked. But she was really able to find her voice when she talked to the talked to the organizational leaders to say, this is why I am devoted to this project. I am devoted to this team. I believe in seeing things through. I want to see it through. Um, and that's what I'm going to do. So she courageously turned it down. She stayed with her team, but that it made such a strong impression that she became known as this person who was like there for the substance of the work. And by the way, when she talked to the CEO, um, she also said like, and I want to critique about our company, all this like focus on the fast promotion, because it means people are constantly rotating between teams and departments. And the work is not as good as it could be if we were less focused on promotions and staying longer with our projects. So she became this kind of voice of thinking about um, movement within the company differently. And she was able to get this huge double win, which was she saw the project through, she did it with her team, the project had a lot of impact. And when she was done, they came back to her for of course, an even more senior role because wow. <laughs> now she was known, right? For this substance right. and integrity and she had done it in her own way. And she happily took that job. That's awesome. I love that. So how have you played big? Like, I know this idea, every idea that we come up with usually comes out of some sort of personal experience. So how yeah. obviously you're playing big with, with your books and your coaching, but was there any moments that in your personal life that you can think of that inspired you to do this work for sure and and all the tools you know in that are in the playing big book like I was using those to create a life that felt authentic to my dreams so when I started this process I was um working inside a large nonprofit foundation in a pretty um like buttoned up environment you know writing white papers 
literally wearing the tweed suits <laughs> and actually enjoying the work just fine, but knowing also it was like a huge compromise of what I really wanted to do and feeling increasingly feeling I want to do something creative. I want to do something related to people's inner lives. And that at that time was a huge playing big leap for me. That felt so scary because I was coming out of a very traditional like MBA school environment of like, you don't go become a coach with your fancy MBA. That is not what you do. <laughs> right. You don't go do some woo woo thing. And, you know, who do you think you are about the writing? So I had a lot of my own playing small around, you know, even just sitting down to write, I could, I could not get the words to come. And a huge playing big insight for me was after really working with writer's block for a long time while I was in that old job, but trying to write and trying to kind of start writing about our inner lives. Um, one day I, I just got the thought, oh, if you're gonna write, if you're gonna actually let the words come and not get so eaten alive by this inner critical voice, you have to write 100% for yourself. You cannot write for anyone else, for anyone else's approval. You cannot write for your English professor's voice that's inside your head. And that felt true when I heard that thought. And so I thought, well, what if I just write today? Cause I'm a woman who loves to write. And that was really the day the words started to flow. And they kind of kept flowing ever since. And that's still true. Like I publish regularly, but I'm always writing because it's my spiritual practice and it's my joy. And to me, that's, that is a form of playing big. I agree. I agree. I just recently took a similar step. I mean, I've written a couple of books and I blogged for years and years. And I think I was doing that for myself. And then at one point, I unknowingly started doing it, not for myself. And I'm just now getting back to writing stuff that no one will see. I mean, maybe they'll see it, but I'm right. just writing. And there for a while, I wasn't writing at all because I thought none of this, none of my thoughts are publishable. I mean, I was journaling, but like writing, you know, a, a story or a thought. I just wasn't doing it. Cause I thought none of this is publishable. I don't want to, I don't care. <laughs> and then I thought, oh my gosh, this is because I'm not doing it for me. Yeah. And that exactly. changed everything. Yeah. 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 You know, one of the concepts that, um, I found to be really helpful when we talk about in playing big is we call it should goals and gift goals. So should goals are like goals we have that we might not even realize it, but they really are, they come from a should. They come from either our should, sense of should to ourselves. They come from maybe the shoulds that other people are putting on us or the cultural standards. And then there's gift goals. And gift goals are the goals we set that truly feel like a gift to us. Like the, the goal is a gift and the journey to get to it is a gift. But what that. happens a lot, and it's what you've just described, is like we start out with something being a gift. We start out writing because we love writing. But then our brain kind of takes a hold of the plan and, and our, our gift slowly morphs into a should or we start doing it in a should way. And we ruin the gift of it for ourselves, which is in many ways, I think what you just described. And then we have to realize we go through the process that you were just describing of like, oh, this has become a should and I need to get it back to the gift. 
And that can mean asking, you know, what would it be a gift to write about? How would it be? How do I need to write in order for it to feel like a gift? And that can open up a whole new domain for people. Oh, that's, I love that so, so much. I am going to ask myself that all the time <laughs> because you're right. You're right. Um, I want to write fiction. I want to write a fiction book. I want to, like, it's a thing that the journey I want to do, I want to finish the damn thing and go, whoa, this sucks. Or it's like, I don't even, it doesn't even matter, but my mind hijacks it all the time. And it's like, well, if you could write like a book a year and then, (laughs) you know, and then, Yeah. Then you could, you could even do a series and then all of a sudden I'm killing off my protagonist and I'm crying in the shower and I'm tanking the whole book. Right. Wow. Right. And I, that, not that that happened exactly like that. It totally did. Um, and then I just came to a couple of weeks ago and thought, wait a minute, I actually like to make up stories and I'm so concerned that someone else isn't going to like reading it. Like, where did that even come from? Well, of course I know where it came from. It comes from people pleasing and uh, wanting to make everyone proud, but it had never quite taken over my writing before. Mm. And it did. And it it just went silent and I wrote nothing. Mm. So I love that. The gift is the writing. The gift is the practice of it. The daily, the making the stories that maybe no one will read or maybe everyone will read. Who cares? It's not that. It's the writing. Yeah. Yeah. So how can you apply that to other areas of life? I mean, outside of Any area. I mean, I, I really (laughs) believe, so, you know, part of how we use that is if you, if you want to have sustained action towards anything, whether that's how you're moving your body or, um, your career goals or like a creative practice, like writing, if you are, um, starting with a should goal and you are trying to motivate yourself over the long term for a should goal, that's either going to be impossible because your inner self is going to rebel, or it's just going to be really miserable because you might, you might have a shot at forcing yourself to do it, but it's not fun to be like working on something over the long term out of a sense of should. So it's kind of the first order of business to say in any area of my life, is this a should goal or a gift goal? And if it's a should, I'm either going to drop it or I'm going to change it into a gift goal. Um, so like changing, it might be, I'm still going to write, but I'm going to write what I, what feels like a gift and in the way that feels like a gift. And, and then I know I can hear everybody, you know, saying, well, what about my taxes? You know, I have (laughs) to do them. I can't, but actually there's a lot of room we have to change how we do things or even the story we tell ourselves about them. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting to think how would I need to do my taxes to feel like it would be a gift to myself to do them, not even to get them done, but to do them. And you're going to, if you ask yourself that question, right? Like in coaching, we say every question points us somewhere. So that's a different place than you've pointed yourself before with taxes. You have not tried to put together like taxes, doing them with something that really feels like a gift to myself. And you might come up with some creative answers. Like it might be, I'm going to sit down you know, with 
the most awesome homemade cappuccino ever and with this great music in the background or I want to get together with four friends on zoom and say like let's have a really fun like tax you know tax party <laughs> yeah let's complain <laughs> for 10 minutes and then let's do it and let's take dance break you're gonna you're gonna generate a whole new set of creative possibilities yeah. so really with anything there's a more gift-like way to do it and then it kind of points to the basics like life is a gift and that yeah. is the bottom line, right? That yes, yeah. and how we and how the, the crazy things we do in our lives to make that less so, right? Right, right. Just the long to do list of shoulds that we take yeah. away from our just the very breath of life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my goodness, Tara, this was great. I know people needed to hear that because I certainly did. Because I'm looking at like I had a big old should day. <laughs> It was a, just yeah. a day of shows. Um, so this was, this was a gift. So there you go. Oh. Um, thank you so much. So where can people get your book? Obviously where, where they buy books, right? Yes. But where can they follow you, find you? And if they want yes. to learn more about your yeah. courses. So taramore.com is a really good place. That's where lots of writings about these topics live. Lots of great free resources, um, we do every Sunday I do coaching and conversation actually on, on zoom open and free to everybody kind of like a Q and a and guided workshop, um, Sunday morning. So that's super fun. And, um, Instagram is Tara Sophia and then yeah, books, wherever you like to get books. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tara. It was thank great. Thank you, Meredith. Thanks for having me. Thanks everybody. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.